Well, happy, uh, happy Sunday, everyone. I hope you are excited to be here. I'm so excited. I'm really excited to be here. Who's it? Anyone excited? I'm excited to be here in the worship of God today. Excellent. Good. Are you as excited uh, to be here as you would be to spend a million dollars shopping somewhere? Are you that, are you that excited? Yeah? Uh, how about, are you as excited to be here as you would be to have a $1,000 shopping spree to the mall at Millennia? Are you as excited to be here as you would be? If you, because underneath one seat in here is a $1,000 gift card. I'm just kidding. But are you that excited to come and worship God? The uh, Puritans used to say every Sunday, they called it the market day, shopping day for our soul. That we can come today and this Sunday, I'm so excited because I'm going shopping in order that my soul would be satisfied. Without money, without cost, without paying anything, I come and I can feed my soul and have everything that my heart craves and longs for, everything my deepest desires of my soul can be satisfied in Christ on this day. Do you believe that to be your story and your testimony? Because that's what Jesus offers to us Today, when I was uh, in high school, when I was in college, I used to love going to church. It wasn't always for those reasons. Uh, in high school, I loved going to church because I could see my friends, I could play football. But as I grew in my faith, as I uh, matured in my faith and grew in my understanding of Jesus, um, I loved going to church because I loved the fact that I could hear the Word of God and I could worship with the community. I loved being able to come and, and, and encounter God. But what I did not love, in fact, what I dreaded was the feeling of having to go home on Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening. I would prolong my day as much as I could in order to hang out with people, in order to stay at church. Whatever was offered at church, I would sit there, I would take it, I would take Bible study, hang out with my friends, and then when it would be like, let's go out to eat, after eating, I'd be like, you guys want to go get some dessert or something like that? And when people started trickling home, I knew reality was beginning to set in that I had to go home and live out the things that I'd learned on Sunday. There'd be this thing where I'd walk out the doors of church on Sunday inspired and ready to just live for Christ and so ready to conquer the world for the Lord, but then I knew going home that there would be all of these challenges that confronted me. There would be the stuff of life. There'd be the reality of of the things that I needed to attend to. There'd be school. There'd be work, and there'd be temptation. There'd be worldliness. There'd be a world that fights against the life of Christ in me, and there'd be a lot of times where I would walk out of there saying, okay, pastor, I know you're telling me I got to go, and I got to thrive for the kingdom of God. But I'm thinking in my mind, if I could just survive until next week, that would be good enough for me. Do you ever feel like that? Maybe you feel excited as you come to church on Sunday, ready to hear from God, ready to meet with Him, ready to worship Him, but it's the going home that's hard because you know that as Christians we've been called to not just survive, but we've been called to really kill it, to thrive in this world because everything's been given to us to do that. The gates of hell will not prevail, Jesus said, but you're thinking, but against me it seems to always prevail. Thrive? Are you kidding me? If I could just make it to the week alive, that would be good enough for me. That conversation that I've got on Monday, those SATs that I've got to study for, I don't want to face the music for, that exam that I've got, the meeting with my boss that he's been wanting to have that I kept on pushing back and I don't know what it's about and it doesn't seem good. The bills that are coming up due this Thursday. I don't know how I'm going to make it through the week. Thrive, are you kidding me? If I could just make it to next Sunday, then I'll be happy. Do you ever feel like that? Like Jesus tells us that there's a life that he gives to us that's going to cause us to really live for the glory of God. But you feel like if I, 
I don't even think I can limp into next Sunday. If you feel like that's your Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon experience, you feel like that's your life, you feel like that's your story, then today what Jesus says as we rediscover who he is based on his own words, I think have high instructive and inspirational and empowering value for us. We're going to read from John chapter 10 as we look into continually um, these seven I am statements of Jesus. In John chapter 10, he actually gives two I am statements. The one we're going to talk about today is a little bit more obscure, and most people would forget about it when they talk about what did Jesus say about himself. The one that you do remember probably from John chapter 10 is Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. We're going to get to that next week. But today I want to talk about the one that's less talked about, but maybe, uh, well, they're all as significant because together the seven representing completion and perfection gives us a beautiful and full orb picture of who Jesus is and what he came to do and what his mission on this earth was. We're going to look at John chapter 10, verses 1 through 10. What does it mean that Jesus Christ is the gate for the sheep? This is John 10. We'll read verses 1 through 10. This is God's word. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, the man who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The man who enters by the gate is the shepherd of his sheep. The watchman opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they'll run away from him because they don't recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but they did not understand what he was telling them. Verse 7, therefore Jesus said again, let me clarify, he's saying, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. All who ever came before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. <clears throat> Whoever enters through me will be saved. He will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. This is God's word. So Jesus is using analogy, figure of speech, an illustration that was pretty common in those days in that kind of like farming and uh, agricultural society. He's talking about sheep and he's talking about uh, a pen. Some of us, uh, some of our people here, uh, several years back when we were doing ministry in Ecuador, uh, had the opportunity to build a pen for goats. It was a massive, uh, there were stairs leading up and built out of trees and this huge edifice where all these goats would go and they would hang out in that place. Uh, Jesus is talking about a sheep pen, not a goat pen, but the sheep pen that Jesus is talking about was nothing as sophisticated uh, as the ones that our brothers made in Ecuador. In fact, it was very rudimentary, it was very basic, it was very simple. Usually these pens were made out of um, branches or sticks, things like that, and they're just kind of mashed together. The very highly technologically advanced ones would be made out of stones and usually be about three to five feet high. Okay? And this is where these sheep would live uh, in, the, in the nighttime. So it would be like that. They would sometimes put uh, glass or, or I'm sorry, they would put thorns on top of the gate in order that people trying to come over the, I'm sorry, put, come over the pen 
could not. It was kind of like a uh, poor man's barbed wire at the time. If you've been to Dominican Republic, you see on top of the walls, there's broken glass that kind of functions as barbed wire to keep uh, the thieves and the robbers from coming into the church. That's kind of the way it was. They had thorns that kept the thieves and robbers uh, from coming into the sheep pen to steal the sheep for uh, its wool. So this is what Jesus is talking about. The way he, he, he mentions it, in the morning, the sheep would go out, they would eat their, their stuff, and then they would come back into the pen at night in order that they would find protection. So uh, this huge uh, pen uh, made out of these rudimentary material and a bunch of different sheep from a bunch of different flock would be herded into that place. And Jesus says there's one gate, okay? there's one gate, uh, typically it was a, a several feet wide, and this was the only way to go in and the only way to go out. Now, I want to pause here for a second, because if you can imagine, I don't know how big these sheep pens were, but if you can imagine a big square edifice about three to five feet high, you can't come in. The only way that you can get in and out is through the gate. Now, because I'm not familiar with sheep pens by experience, I have to understand it by research. And so I read three different accounts of shepherds talking about their sheep pen, and every single one of them was the same. Because there would be mountain lions, because there would be wolves that chased after the sheep, they would need a pen at night into which they would go, and there was one gate. Now, the accounts that I read, three groups of people went to three different sheep pens, and they looked at the pen, and they realized that in none of these pens was there actually a gate or a door. And so these people asked the shepherd, I understand that there's a way in, there's a way out, but where's the actual door that you open and close in order to keep the sheep safe? And each one of these accounts said the same thing. The shepherd looked at the people, kind of funny, and they explained to them, right, one of of the accounts, I don't know if they were Christian, but one of them was not, it was a Jewish person. One of the accounts said, I am the gate. In fact, all of the accounts said, I am the gate. What did that mean? It means that the shepherd, depending on how big the opening was, would either sit with his back against the opening and prop his feet up and put his arms over his knees, and he would close his eyes for a couple hours as well as he could, and he would sleep there. If the, if the entrance to the gate was bigger, the shepherd would lie down in that gateway, and he would have his rod, he would have his staff, and if an animal tried to come in, then the shepherd would wake up and he would fight it off. If a thief or robber tried to come in, then the shepherd would wake up and he would fight it off. If a sheep wanted to get in or out, he had to go through the shepherd. In other words, the shepherd is the gate, and if anything wanted to go in or out of the pen, the only way it could, the shepherd would say, is over my dead body. That's what Jesus is talking about. So what does it mean then that if a sheep wanted to go in or out, and if a bad guy or a bad animal wanted to go in or out, it would only have to go through, it had to go through the gate that is Jesus. Two things. He talks about when he talks about the sheep, okay? Two things. Jesus is the gate to the pen, and Jesus is the gate to the pasture. Okay, what does that mean? First thing, Jesus is the gate to the pen, pen, which is the family of God. Okay, so here you've got these sheep. Uh, We're going to talk a little bit more about the nature of sheep next week when we talk about Jesus as the good shepherd. But sheep, as you know, 
Uh, in the animal kingdom, we're not the most highly educated sheep. In fact, <clears throat> the, the analogy of us being sheep is very familiar to the writers of Scripture. In fact, one of the most common, Isaiah 53, verse 6, says, we all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. This is what sheep do. They don't have a very good inner GPS system. Most, I don't know about most, but a lot of animals have a homing device that lets people know, uh, that lets them know where their home is. And so they could be lost somewhere, and they could, a lot of them can find their way back home. But sheep don't have that. They are highly, highly, highly directionally challenged. And so they don't know where their home is. They don't know where their pen is. If they're out late at night and they've been hanging out and they, you know, I don't know, they went on a date and they're, they're late and they're separated from the rest of their flock, they don't know their way back to the pen. And so they need a shepherd. But what happens if a sheep does not know how to make it back to its pen? <clears throat> there are animals out there that want to kill these sheep. Wolves and mountain lions were the most common ones, and there are thieves that wanted to steal them so they could uh, shear them and then sell uh, their wool to get money. But there are all kinds of bad things out there, all kinds of predators, all kinds of things. And if a sheep was like any other animal, he could try or she could try to fight off the animal. But the sheep is probably the only animal in the animal kingdom that I know of that does not have a fight or flight response system. Okay? They don't know how to fight. The only thing they know how to do is to flee. And so if they get attacked, they try to run away. And if they get knocked over on their back, they don't know how to get back on their feet. So all they do is they just bah, bah, bah. And then other animals will hear them bang, and they'll come and they'll kill them. Right? Sheep are really bad. And so if a sheep are out at night and they don't know where to go, then they're going to get killed. They're going to get destroyed. In fact, this is the very reason why not only do they need a shepherd, but it's the reason why they need a sheep pen. Because in the day, they graze, they get their food, they're under the watchful eye of their shepherd. And then at night, when things get dark, with their inability to fight, their inability to defend themselves, their inability to fend off the things that go make noises in the night, they need to be led into the pen. And so this is what Jesus does. Right? He leads them into the pen, and then he lays down, and he says, I'm the gate. If anyone wants to come in, if anyone wants to touch these sheep, they have to do it through me. In verses 1 through 6, Jesus tells a story, and he, he basically gives us figure of speech. Uh, the, the parables of Jesus, uh, it, uh, they're, they're analogies in a sense, but everything in the parable does not have a direct correlation. And so you can't say, well, what is a sheep? What is a gate? What is a watchman? Who are they? Not everything has a direct correlation to something in real life. He's just telling that as an illustration to prove a point. And so Jesus is saying, I'm leading my sheep into the safety of the pen, and there are other people, right? In the context, chapter 9, Jesus is talking about the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the teachers who are trying to come into the sheep pen the other way and to steal his people by leading them astray. And Jesus is saying, you can't do that. You can't do that. The only way you come in is through me. They don't understand that. And so Jesus says in verse 7, I tell you the truth, I am the gate for the sheep. And then he says in verse 9, I'm the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. Jesus is saying, outside of the pen, there's danger, there's hardship, there's fear. But if you hear my voice, then I lead you into the pen where there's salvation 
and their safety. I don't know if you, um, if you remember watching Indiana Jones in the Temple of Doom. It's a, um, I, I watched a part of it last night because I wanted to get this, this part right. Uh, Indiana Jones was, uh, I, I don't know how you would describe him today. He was a, a superhero without any superhuman skills, but he had a lasso, and he was just a really cool guy. Um, there's this time where he's in a, in, in a tunnel of of bugs, right? Do you guys remember the scene? Tunnel of bugs, and there's his little, uh, his little Asian friend is with him, and there's this lady, her name is Willie, uh, with them as well. And so Indiana Jones and the, and the Asian guy, what was his name again? Short Round? <laughs> In Goonies, his name was D- Data, right? Um, but anyways, Indiana Jones and this guy, and they're in a tunnel of bugs that is creepy, and all these creepy crawlies are, <coughs> are, are, are trying to eat them up. And there's this part in, uh, in the movie where uh, this booby trap gets set off, and so <clears throat> these spikes from the ceiling are coming down, and they're going to kill Indiana Jones. All of these booby traps are happening, and so he says to Willie, he says, you need to push the lever, and the lever will stop all of this stuff. Right? And she doesn't know what she's doing, and she doesn't realize that there's bugs all around. And then she, you know, oh, my gosh, there's craziness with all these bugs. So finally she hits the switch, and everything stops, and the gate goes, starts going up, right, in order that they might get out to safety. But as they're moving and as they're excited about that, uh, she accidentally bumps into the lever again, and so the gate starts coming down. And so here's this, you know, is this, this, this huge moment, this crucial moment where he's like, run, we've got to run for it. And so they're running, running, running. She dives under and she makes it. And he dives in and his hat falls off and, and he makes it to safety. And he grabs his hat and he gets it back. And it's like this amazing moment where he gets through the gate in order to find his salvation. And Jesus is saying, this is what I do also. Outside, right, outside in the world, there's danger, there's harm, but through the gate, Right, through the gate, there's not only salvation, but there's safety. Why is there safety? Because you know that as a sheep, when you go into the pen, you look around and you find a bunch of other sheep all around. And Jesus is saying, listen, the only way to get into the place of safety is to go through the gate. And the gate leads you into the pen, which represents the people of God. I don't know about you, but this is a clear and present reminder of how much we need the family of God in order to do life. So many times we face the danger, we face the hardship, we face the trials throughout the week, and then we come into the house of God and we find strength and we find safety and we find protection. And in the pages of Scripture, there is no biblical writer who has this understanding that you could be a Christian and not be part of the church. There's nowhere in the pages of Scripture Ever is there taught this idea that you could be part of the family of God and not be connected to other people and not be intimately connected to other people. So many times, so many times, whenever sheep who are once part of the pen leave the pen and go out into and leave the pen and go out into the world, they get devoured by the wolves of this world. And Jesus is saying, I am the gate that leads you into safety. I'm the gate that leads you into the pen. I'm the gate that leads you into the family of God. And you need each other more than you can ever know. More than you could ever know. And I, I feel this so deeply whenever I come to church on Tuesday nights for, for Bible study. We've got, I understand, <clears throat> within the sheepfold, there's a lot of different sheep. There's a, a different sizes, different shapes, different colors. We annoy each other sometimes. That's our reality. 
Right? Sometimes, you know, I apologize if sometimes I annoy you, and I'm sure, I'm sure I do, but you have to understand that sometimes you annoy me also. But here's our reality. We're in the sheep pen together, and we're called to do life together. I realize how much I need you and how much I need the church every Sunday morning when I get into this place. I realize that every time I go to house church, every time I, on Tuesday nights we come into that conference room for Harvest 201, we've got the most random group of people that get together. And it boggles my mind, like on, in, in any normal place, this group of people would not be getting together. We've got single people. We've got, we've got a guy from Taiwan. He, made, he studied painting in college, and he loves making roll cakes, right? He's one of the guys in the class, and he hangs out with people who are old enough to be his parents, right? Chinese uh, husband and wife who've got two grown kids, and they hang out together, and they love each other. A 62-year-old Messianic Jew who came to know Jesus grew up studying the law of God and gave his life to Jesus Christ. And he comes with his Korean wife who'd rather speak Korean than English. We got, a, we got a gal who lived, grew up in Germany who's more fluent in German than she is in Korean or English. This is crazy. And we all hang out together. We've got a Malaysian couple who grew up Buddhist, grew up animist, spiritist. Who They came to know the Lord and came to realize that Jesus was real. Before they ever came to know Jesus, when she prayed to this God of the Bible for the healing of her husband. We got a brother who was in a coma for six months, went to bed one night on his, on his living room couch and woke up in a coma like several months later. I guess Rip Van Winkle stuff. And his wife, who grew up running from the Viet Cong, who came to know the Lord Jesus in a Philippine refugee camp. And all these random groups of people, right, single people, married folks, all these different kinds of people, yet they get together on every Tuesday night, and they laugh together, they study the Word of God together. And the only thing that unites these hearts is the fact that we entered through the same gate whose name is Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. And they say, what's the most significant thing? What's the best thing about this group of people? And they say, just hearing each other's story of how we came through the gate and came to know this shepherd, Jesus. It's crazy. Like, this is us. This is us. I know people in church annoy you. I know we get on each other's nerves. You know, it fascinates. We're talking about sheep, but can I talk for a second about my professor used to talk about, uh, he used to talk about porcupines, and he has this message called Porcupines in a Storm, Steve Brown. And as I was thinking about this, I, was, I also came to read about porcupines through another preacher named John Ortberg. Porcupines are interesting animals, right? Very interesting animals. The Latin word uh, for, <clears throat> for porcupine means irritable back because they've got 30,000 pins, quills that come out of their back, and whenever someone gets too close to them, they shoot these quills into their body. Pew, 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 pew. And then when, if I get hit by a porcupine, when my body heat begins to, uh, begins to rise, my temperature begins to rise, these quills sink into me and they circulate through my body. And it can kill me. Right? This is porcupines. Of any animal in the animal kingdom, porcupines are the most antisocial. They don't let people get close to them. If someone annoys them, bam, they shoot them with quills. Right? Sometimes that's like us, isn't it? Every animal in the animal kingdom, you think of even the worst animals. Right? Every animal has some kind of an, some mascot representative that everyone looks at and says, oh, that's a beautiful a skunk. Right, as much as we hate skunks, there's a lovable skunk right, named Pepe Le Pew. Right? We love that skunk. Even tigers, right? fierce and ah. Eh. But there's Tony the tiger. They're great. Right? Lions. There's Simba. We love Simba. Even cats. Right? There's even 
somewhere out there like Garfield or Heathcliff, a beautiful cat, but there's no representative of the porcupine species that we can look at and say, oh, he's so lovable. Because porcupines annoy each other, and they hate each other, and they do not like engaging in community. And maybe you're like that. Maybe you're like, these people are porcupines. I try to get close to them, but they hurt me every time. I can't stand them. But there's something that happens to these porcupines, the most antisocial creature in the animal kingdom, when the rains begin to fall. In the midst of a storm, every one of these porcupines put aside their differences and they come together and they huddle together because they realize that the only way we're going to survive a storm is if we raise our quills together and we come around and we realize that we're family. Regardless of our differences, regardless of the pain that we've inflicted upon each other in the past, regardless of how misunderstood I might be, regardless of how annoying they are, in the midst of the storm, I realize that I need other porcupines that I have annoyed and who have annoyed me also. We have a lot to learn from these animals because there's a lot of times that you've probably been hurt by people within the church, and there are a lot of times that you've hurt other people from the church, but you've got to understand that you're not going to make it and you're not going to survive if you go outside of the sheep pen. You've got to come in and you've got to do life together. If you have made it a habit of getting away from the people of God, whether it be I don't come on Sundays anymore, I don't come to house church, I don't come to SNF, it's one of two things. Either it is a precursor to sin in your life or it is a result of sin in your life. Can we be clear about that? Because Jesus says you cannot love God if you don't love other people. If you're not getting into community, if you think I can love Jesus just fine, thank you very much, without being part of a community, it's either because of or going to lead to sin in your life. Can you hear me out, young people? If you're born 1990 to 2005, you're called Generation Z. Okay, I read this article the other day. Generation Z, it says the greatest threat to your generation, this is young people, this is college students, this is uh, youth students, this is for some of us single people, this is your generation. The greatest threat to your generation, the generation before, it was drugs, it was sex, and those things are still huge today. But the greatest threat, uh, researchers have said, for Generation Z is your addiction to social media causes you to have an illusion of community without the intimacy of community. He's saying the greatest thing, okay, the greatest thing that's going to overcome that, because of that, they say that the more time you spend on your phone and in social media, exponentially your rates of depression rise and they soar like nothing that you see. The, the, the correlation is startling. It's startling. And it's why so many people are drawn to that, I forget what that Netflix movie, 13 or something, where or, or they're about suicide, where we're drawn to that because not only does that reflect the inner longings of our heart, but it gives words to and it speaks to the unspoken cry of a generation. Why? Because we're drowning in this pseudo-community that we think is going to give us life, but all it ends up doing is it leads us to a false kind of intimacy that causes us to act out in many different ways. And the greatest hope for your generation is going to be to put down the phones, and this is something that we, uh, in generations previous, need to, need to model as well for our, for our young people, right? is, to, is to put down our 
devices and to engage in true and real, heartfelt, intimate, and especially gospel-driven community. Jesus says, I'm the gate, and apart from the protection that's found in the sheep pen, we're not going to be able to survive in this world that's full of storms, full of darkness, full of evil, and full of predators. First thing Jesus says, here's what you need to know, that Jesus is the gateway into the pen, which is a family of God. But we're not meant to do life simply within the pen. And so the second thing that Jesus says is Jesus is the gateway to the pasture, which is the life that is abundant, the abundant life. Not only does Jesus provide the gate into the pen where we find safety and protection in the family of God, we were not meant to remain in that place. And so when morning comes, Jesus opens up the gate, he steps out of the way, and he leads his sheep out. Because sheep are very simple. They don't need much in life. The one thing that they need, the one thing that they need, though, is pasture, is grass. Some of us, we say, for me to live is dot, dot, dot. For a sheep, for a sheep to live is grass. For us, ball is life. For a sheep, grass is life. That's their life. That's all it is. Jesus says, verse, verse 9, he'll come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Jesus is saying, listen, if you're a sheep, if you have those two things, if you have safety and you've got pasture, you've got everything that you need. This is the good life for you. Sheep don't need a TV. They don't need, you know, they don't need to hang out. They don't need to go to find out. All they need is grass. That's all they need, and they're fine. As long as they've got grass and they've got a home to go to at night, their life is complete. Their eye, some of you, when, when you see like the, the, the food we're going to eat at our cafe, your eyes light up and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. Right? Some of you, when you go to, I don't know, some kind of a, a restaurant, all you can eat buffet, your eyes light up and you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But you don't eat that every day of your life. But for a sheep, all they need to do is get out of that sheep pen, and when the shepherd leads them to pasture and says, here it is, their eyes light up. They're like, oh, my goodness, green grass. Like, this is amazing. This is life for the sheep. Everything that they need is right there. You see, the problem is a lot of times they don't know where to find the good grass, and so you read about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, he leads me, and he leads me into to pastures, to green pastures. Because sheep are kind of like young college students. They eat and eat and eat and eat, and they want to keep on eating. And so this is what sheep do. They keep on eating. And so they're so indiscriminate, like some of our college students, they eat everything. And sometimes they eat poisonous weeds, which cause them to get sick. And so when the shepherd leads them to the right place, to the right food, their eyes light up and they realize, man, this is life for me. Jesus is saying, you were not meant to remain in here as a people of God. You need to get out because I've got life for you and I've got it for you in abundance. What is that abundant life? What does it mean when Jesus says, I promise you life and life to the full? Can I tell you what a lot of us in American Christianity, think 
the abundant life is? A lot of us think the abundant life is the American dream, baptized in the language of morality and blessing. If I can have a family and we could be healthy, if I can have a home and I can have a couple cars, if we can be healthy and we can have a little bit of wealth and we can continue to come to church on Sunday and do our church thing and let people know that we're Christians, this is life in abundance. And we would be so sadly and deeply mistaken. Jesus didn't say, I lay down my life so that you might live a baptized American dream. The sad reality is that there are a lot of people who are thinking that way, who are going to spend an eternity apart from God because they think that's what the good life is. Can I tell you what? Our missionary in Ecuador, Gonzalo Kimbuco, has no illusion in thinking that that's the abundant life. Our missionaries in the Dominican Republic, Reverend Choi and Sharon Choi, they have no thought that that's the abundant life. Our missionaries who've given up everything here to go out to the mission field, they have no dreams that that's what the abundant life is. The abundant life is not found in our possessions, in our toys, in our positions, in our status in the world. It's none of those things. Jesus didn't die so that we might have all of these things and say, this is living now. He didn't. Saying it's an inner reality. It's an inner reality. It's not having all those things. It goes back to the bread of life. Jesus says, what do you come to me for? Why are you following me? Is it because of what I can give to you? Is the American dream about having these designer clothes or having this souped up car? Is that what what it is? Not the American dream. Is that what the abundant life is to you? Because people are not laying down their lives in order to have that. The martyrs didn't lay down their lives because they had that. Saints of old aren't laying down their lives because they had everything that the world tells you you ought to have. A lot of times we think the American dream is not only having everything that I want and everything that I need, but it's having everything that other people want to have and being the envy of everybody else and then coming to church in that way. I hear sometimes some preachers say, yeah, the reason I can justify my million-dollar salary is because I want to give my people something to live for, a dream to live for, a hope to live for. That's bogus, man. That's not the gospel. Jesus never came to give us those things. Yeah, we might have those things as a byproduct of following Jesus and obedience. He may give us those things, but he also may not. And the person who has and the person who does not, the difference of whether they have abundant life isn't shown by those things. In fact, the writer of Ecclesiastes said, I have all of those things, and I realize that it's all meaningless. It's all vain. It's all empty. It's nothing. None of those things can satisfy because they were never meant to do that. That's not the abundant life that Jesus came to give. Jesus says, I came to give you myself. That's the abundant life. That's the abundant life. And if you're not feasting on Jesus, then that's why we don't have this life that's abundant. Not because we're not working hard enough or we're not praying hard enough to have all that stuff. It's because we're not feasting on Jesus. He is the life that is abundant. He's the one that gives us his life. That's what he's talking about. It's not having all of these other things. It's not about possessions or, or places to go and having long vacations. It's a person. He's saying, that's the abundant life. That's what it's all about. And you feed on Jesus. This is what it means to really live. The reason why we feel like I'm not really living, the reason why we feel like I'm just surviving and not thriving is because we're not communing on the person and the work of Jesus Christ. 
you understand? It's about feeding and intentionally going in and finding where Jesus is and feeding our souls on him. This is what the abundant life is all about. And that's what no storm, no hurricane, nothing in this world can take away from us. See, we, we know what we value as a church by what we talk about. Puritans used to always talk about feeding on Jesus, our soul having communion with Jesus. These days, man, our churches, we talk about the visions that we have and doing all these things and what we can do for him and all the things that he's doing in our lives. And these things are great. These newest strategies for doing missions and the newest strategies for doing church and the ways that we can increase church membership, that's all good. But we don't talk a lot about actually communing with and feeding on Jesus. And that's why there's a poverty of life within the church. That's what Jesus is talking about. I came that you might have life and have it in abundance. Are you experiencing that? Then the simplest answer, if you're not, is are you feeding on Jesus? Because that's what it means to live. The way I see this, there's two words in the Greek for life. Bios is the regular word for life. It starts on your birthday and it ends the day that you die. It's a duration. It's a quantity of life. But what Jesus is talking about, he says, I have come to give you life. I've come to give you zoe life. Zoe life. That is the life of God. He says that zoe begins the moment you walk through the gate of Jesus and enter into the life that is eternal. He says when you begin that life, that journey with Jesus, that's when your zoe begins. I think that a lot of times it's like if you, if you take a, a, a bottle of Coke or, or soda and you shake it, up really hard, and then you open it up, and that it just explodes out. To me, that's what Jesus is talking about, a life that cannot be contained within ourselves, that it just overflows out of us. This is living the abundant life. But I think a lot of us are trying to drink the blessing out of a can of life that's reached empty because we're not feeding on Jesus and we're wondering why God is failing me because I'm not living in the fullness that he promised. Sometimes when, our, uh, when little Elise will drink out of her juice box or Capri Sun or whatever it is, uh, she'll drink and then she'll get that sound where you're just sucking up air and a little bit of juice is going in. And so she'll say, Mommy, Daddy, my straw is not working. So what do you mean your straw is not working? She's like, listen, listen, look. And she drinks it. I say, Elise, it's because your juice box is empty. I mean, a lot of our juice boxes of life are empty because we're not feeding on Jesus because we have this illusory dream that the fullness of life is a baptized American dream and that we're wondering, where has Jesus, why has Jesus failed me? Jesus didn't come to bless your worldly dreams and say, go for it, and just, but just remember me every Sunday. He came to flip your life upside down and to revolutionize it and to live the God life within you from the inside out. That's why he came. You weren't meant to just stay here, hear your message, say, okay, this is cool. When I need help, I'll come to my family of God. No. He bids a man come and die to find that I might truly live. That's what it means to live, to feed on Jesus. This is what it means to live a life of abundance. Are you living in that life, people of God? Do you want that life? That life that nothing in this world 
could ever take away from you. You might not have everything that this world says you ought to have, but you will have everything that the world longs to have when things get rough and things get hard. And when everyone else abandons, you'll still have this undercurrent of life. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. That's what Jesus says you've got in you when you walk through the gate that is Jesus. Uh, 1920s, during the Great Depression, there's this uh, uh, very talented man named George Beverly Shea. He was working at the time in some insurance company in in New York City, and uh, he found out that um, they were going to be laid off. Great Depression. He's going to lose his job. And so in order to prepare, he began looking out for other jobs and other gigs. Uh, He had been blessed with an amazing voice, amazing singing voice. And so uh, NBC Radio contacted him, said, would you come and sing on our radio station? And so he sang, and everybody loved it. And for that one day, he got all of this money, more money than he would ever see in a day of working in New York City or any other job for that matter. So they tried to sign him to a contract said, you get on the radio, you have your own show, but once a week you've got to come on this, there was this, I forget what show it was, but it was a top 40 show where he would have to sing, and it was a secular show, and he, he just felt like that. I don't know if that, that seems to compromise my morals. It seems to compromise the things that I value as a child of God. But he wrestled through that. This is the depression, man. You got no money to have a job like that, and you've got everything. So he prayed about it, he prayed about it, he prayed about it. And one day he went to his piano and he was going to sit down to sing a song. And he saw this note that his mother had put. And it was a poem written by some lady named Rhea Miller. She basically said, why don't you try to put these words of this poem to a song? And so as he read it, he felt like those words just really began to resonate in his soul. He ultimately took those words, made it into a song, one of the most famous hymns. But it also helped him to make his decision. That song said, I'd rather have Jesus than silver or gold. I'd rather be his than have riches untold. I'd rather have Jesus than houses or lands. I'd rather be led by his nail-pierced hand than to be the king of a vast domain or be held in sin's dread sway. I'd rather have Jesus than anything this world affords today. I'd rather have Jesus than man's applause. I'd rather be faithful to hear his dear cause. Uh, He goes on and on and on. He says, I'd rather have Jesus than anything. That's a person who's living the abundant life. Do you have that in you? Do you want that in you? Like, I I may not have anything that the world wants, but I realize it in having Jesus, all I once held dear and built my life upon, all this world reveres and wars to own. And I'd rather have Jesus than any of those things. That's what it means to live. And that's what Jesus says. That's what he means when he says, I'm the gate. I'm the gate into the pen. I'm the gate out to the pasture. And if you know this blessing, here's why. 
It's only, only, it's only over his dead body that you have life. Because Jesus, you know him so well, in order that you might be brought into the family of God, was kicked out of the family of God. Where every single one of us could dare call our creator, the Holy One, Father. He lost that right when the Son of God became a son of darkness so that sons of men could be sons of God. Not only that, not only are we brought in because he was kicked out, but we can have the life that is abundant because he had a life that was abandoned. Over his dead body, do we have life? Do we have family? Do we have protection? Do we have salvation? Because this is what it means that Jesus is the gate. Have you walked through that gate to life? You walk through that gate by putting your trust in the finished work of Jesus to say, I need a Savior. I need to be brought into the family of God. I need people to run this race with. Are you experiencing the life that is abundant, overflowing out of you? Or do you feel like you're just trying to survive? If you haven't entered that gate, walk through it today. He's here. If you have walked through that gate, but you're not experiencing the abundant life. And it's here. Stop playing games. Stop messing around. Stop drinking from, stop eating from these poisonous weeds that only leave you longing for more of this world. We were meant for so much more. We were meant for Jesus. Feed on him. Go to him. The grass is green. Right? He's the gate. Let's walk through him today. Let's pray. My friends, can you really ask yourself, so I asked myself this week, am I living in this life that is full right now? Am I living that God life in me? Can I ask you, are you living that God life in you? The life that is abundant is not the same thing as a spiritualized American dream. It's not. Jesus has called you to so much more. He's called you to so much more than that. Spend a few moments right now in prayer as we come before the Lord. If you're not experiencing that life, how are you doing in your time with Jesus? How is that time? with Jesus. Like a sheep will spend all day feasting on the green pastures. Sometimes it's easy for us to go through the motions of feasting on the Word of God and prayer only to realize that we're doing it in order to do it and get it done. But our soul is not communing with Jesus. And we realize that the life that Jesus died and rose again to give me is not the life is not the promised life that I'm living the failure is not in Jesus' ability to keep the promise but it's in us 
taking our eyes off of him. Let's pray. Let's feast on Jesus. If you have not put your trust in Jesus Christ as your forgiver of your sins, as we pray right now, I would encourage you to do that. Say, Jesus, I'm at the gate. Would you let me in? I put my trust in you to forgive me, save me, help me to be who you want me to be. Let's pray together for a few moments. We're going to prepare to come to the table of God's grace. we prepare to come to this communion table let's search our hearts and ask the Lord Jesus Father have mercy on me for the sins that I've committed in thought in words in deeds in not doing the things I know I ought to do we spend some time just asking the Lord that he would have mercy on us and that the cleansing flow of the blood of Jesus would be powerful in our hearts so that we would see the beauty of Christ again and long for more of Jesus within our lives. Let's spend a few moments in prayers of repentance, turning away from our sin and turning back to Jesus. Let's do that for a few moments. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your faithful love in our lives. We thank you that you will never let us down. You'll never let us go. You'll never leave us alone. But to those who put their faith in you, your Holy Spirit lives within us so that we know that we're always in the presence of God. And you saved us into a family in order that we might live together with fellow pilgrims on the journey. Sometimes we poke each other and sometimes we step on each other and sometimes we annoy each other. But Father, before we do anything else, teach us to pray for one another, to help each other, because we need each other. And then, Lord, from that place, as we go every Sunday into the week, you open up the gate to the pasture. May we feed on you, Lord Jesus. Thank you so much. We love you because you've loved us first. We pray all these things in Jesus' name.